You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, guys. Oh, here we go. Honestly, I'm kind of uh, excited for this podcast because it's a slightly different situation. It's like scenarios, if you will. It's, uh, hey, riddle me this. How do we how do we solve this problem? What's the solution? Because I think yep. that with the two situations we're going to talk, one from a message in through social media, but also one from a cons- recent consulting trip, People are finding themselves in similar situations, but just are left with, man, what do I do? What's next? Yeah. It doesn't help like, me if I do something? I've owned the property for a while now. Yes. We went through some great times, but now we're in the dog days. Yeah. And so, um, and it kind of piggyback off of a podcast we did last week. Yeah. Um, and in and another one the week before that, I believe. And so. And kind one of, to follow up. Next week, too. Yeah. We haven't recorded it yet, but I know it will fall in line. So, um, yeah. So, that's all all exciting stuff. Happy uh, happy uh, deer season, archery season yes. here in Missouri. Yes. Happy archery season for a lot of you guys out there um, that are in other states. Kentucky's opened up. North Dakota, Nebraska. Maryland's open now. Maryland open now. Um, Kansas. Kansas uh, youth season. Yep. Um, I know their muzzle under season's coming up if it's not open already. So there's a lot of states opening up, and 2020 just got better. Georgia's open, too. Yep, Georgia. Uh, I've seen some guys kill some nice bucks down mm-hmm. there in Georgia. So 
Seasons are opening up. COVID's over. No, nah, <laughs> uh, it seems well, like that. Well, when you go and breathe the beautiful, fresh air God There's, created for us. You know, guys like, are just like, oh, finally something yeah. to do. Yeah. So that's exciting. I'm happy for everybody to get out there and uh, get some relief from 2020. Now, <clears throat> we're going to jump into this podcast because it's going to be a shorter podcast. We did a longer podcast over uh, the other podcast this week. So we're going to jump in with number two. Um, and we're going to cover the recent consulting trip Matt was on in the East Coast. And we're going to answer a big, long question that we got sent in uh, recently on Facebook. Um, you ready to jump in? Let's do it. Okay, so let's just get to the meat and potatoes. We've owned our farm in, in a certain county, Iowa, for eight years. It's 420 acres made up of 100-acre row crop, 30 acres hay, which is clover, alfalfa, orchard grass, and chicory blend. Not a bad blend. Not at all. Um, 880 acres of CRP, which is native grass forb mix. Balance in timber. It seems as though the quality has gone downhill. I'm sure it's a combination of high deer numbers, a lack of quality food year-round, and potentially neighbor lack the neighbor's lack of trigger control. It's located in arguably one of the best areas in the world for whitetail hunting. I have this is southern Iowa for you guys. Uh, I have killed a 186 and a 203 off my farm. It just seems as though in the beginning we had four to five shooters, five plus year old in our threshold, no matter score. So four, five, five plusers. Yeah. Every year, and now very, very good. I would say average balance of adult sex, well, not adult sex ratio, but adult age classes of yep. bucks. And now it may be that just one or two every year. Um, also, more importantly, address the drop in score on same age class bucks. Not year to year where it may be weather related, but on long term decline. I've recently started attacking my cool season grasses with a vengeance. I've also started firing, whoa, my screen just changed. I've also started firing up chainsaw, cutting lots of elms, hackberry, locusts, shingle oaks. A combination of hinge, stump uh, to regrow, and stump treated cuts. So it sounds like he's great. I'd say a whole, as a whole, we've got very good trigger control. On average, we kill two bucks a year and 20 does a year. Any help in the right direction would be appreciated. First off, I think he's I think he's doing fantastic stuff. Yep, sounds like, like I, it. I mean, I when I when that picture is painted in my head of okay, here's the region, check, got it. Here's the makeup of the farm, CRP, crops, balance of cool season, um, mm-hmm. legume, heavy in the hay, timber. I'm like, wow, okay, that checks that box for all these different, let's just say, habitat types that you would probably want um, on a property, and. We're still seeing a decline, though, in the quality and quantity of deer. I mean, yeah. it, it, right off the bat, what he was saying, okay, we started here with four to five five-year-olds at 420 acres. Man, that's a great density of of older deer to have, mm-hmm. period. But if you're harvesting annually two and then 20 does from a herd management side of things, that still sounds really good. Like yeah. you're, you're aggressive against um, 
the doe I'm population. Here. How many does did he say exactly? Twenty, 20 does. Okay. Twenty does. Um, so I mean that that all of that sounds just pretty pretty solid. I guess the, what what the question leaves is what's happened in your neighborhood. Like, yep. what I've got is, a couple couple things that come to mind. Um, so eight years, it's twenty twenty. So twenty eleven farm was, let's just say, if that was the case, twenty eleven. Yep. What happened 2012, Southern Iowa? Big EHD. Huge EHD kill-off. Well, what happened 2018, 2019? Yeah, another big one. Another big one. So those are two big factors that weren't mentioned in that question that make me go, what Possibly. happened? Possibly. You know, what was the effect EHD of that? EHD certainly has – there's a lot of people – EHD has, has a, an effect differently for a lot of people. I think of EHD as the social media side of the world where – when it's bad, everybody in the country knows it's bad in that location. But it also happens in a lot of places that don't ever get talked about because oh, it's more sure. like a trickle kill to where you've got a good buck and you're like, I don't know what happened to him, but he died from EHD and you uh, never I, found him. I had, a, I had a, well, we have a client in Ohio who texted in a group this week, lost one. Yeah. Partially, partially shut out from velvet. Yeah. Um. They've ju- they've been since middle, so a month now, um, getting just routine rains. There was yeah. no wounds way back in the like. It was most likely a lot of signs lead or pointing to EHD. Yeah. The way he found it, where he found everything. Um, but he, he's had he's had rain. But there are so many deer annually that die. Like you don't have to have an outbreak at all. Mm-hmm. And, and and have this bad situation to be losing deer annually. There's yep. natural causes. EHD is a natural thing. It's not like it's It doesn't a have to be a severe drought. Right, right, right. With a little bit of rain at the end of Those the summer. Gnats are still present. Storm. Yeah. Whether you have rain or not. Yeah, it's not like they're, locusts they're, where right. they go in the ground and 12 years yeah. later they pop out well, and no. kill all your deer. So there, there's a lot of factors into that. But, but again, we know, like you brought up, 12 and then 18 and 19 um, in in this portion of Iowa, um, many people were seeing a pretty significant, a substantial yep. die off, um, and that's going to affect it's going to affect everybody. And I think that we have to remind ourselves, even though the property size, 420 acres, seems maybe to to some, wow, that's a giant property, that's a huge property. We still have to go back to the range in which whitetails operate on like you can have some home bodies but but when we're talking about the four to five deer he's typically seen like their home ranges aren't just on that property yeah and there's a lot of overlap ingress egress um between between mm-hmm. deer um so, so basically so maybe, what they were seeing was a five and a half per hundred acres yeah yeah absolutely which is un pretty unrealistic for a lot of a lot of us outside of southern Iowa. Uh, I mean, that's that's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic deal. And so, another thing to consider is, you know, like, w- I would like to know past history as well. What was the farm going through for the ten years before you owned it? Oh, certainly. Because a lot of times you'll see, you can just just observe the the hunting industry. Um, from a simple fact, just just look at it from a standpoint of 
there there's hunters across the country, but the the hunting industry, the people who are on hunting shows, they're kind of on the under the magnifying glass. And you can watch trends and you can see people go to new areas. And what you'll see is typically you can watch a guy or a group of hunters or a whole region where it's the new hot spot. People flock to the new hot spot. Totally. And they'll be in that spot for a, a period of time, and then you'll see camps pull out, and they'll start going to new areas. And those new areas are the places that have not been hunted in the past or hunted as hard. And you'll just watch the hot spot. Pike County, southern Iowa, Kansas. Yep. Uh, you can even see that in parts, other parts of Illinois, not just parts, Pike parts County. Parts of Missouri, too. Parts of Missouri. Now you'll see some, even Texas, but you'll see some Oklahoma camps popping up. Buffalo County, Wisconsin. There we go. There's another big one. Uh, CWD had a big part in that. But, like, the same thing happens where people will go to these areas and the hunting pressure gets in- turned to 10. Hunting pre- more... Instead of just your your local rifle hunters, where they only hunt a week out of the year, you'll see the guys who come into camp and they bow hunt, then they gun hunt, and they muzzleloader hunt, and the hunting pressure greatly increases. I want to paint this picture because someone may have misunderstood or, or taken that. It's like it's not like let's just say I'm air quoting hunting industry celebrity celebrity type hunters. It's like a trickle effect of oh, there's presence here. There's great yep. opportunities then then comes either an influx of non non-resident landowners trying to go in and buy but then more outfitting is occurring in an area that has attention so it's yep. like this left right hook left right again of mm-hmm. of just overall what you're saying is more pressure but it's a lot of different factors that come in um and no doubt this gentleman yep. his location uh, it, it's right smack dab in, in the center of it. So, yes, world-class hunting opportunities, but right there in your immediate area, now over the 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 several hunting season, I say several, I'm going to go back to 10 years ago, where there was a lot of significance put on that specific region and zone of Iowa. Yeah, I, uh, so in simple, you see hunting pressure increase because there's more... Serious hunting because as soon as season opens up, they're hunting and they hunt till the end of season. So that's one thing. Another thing is the focus on mature deer. Yep. So the focus on not not the guy that wrote in, they're they're shooting does. But if you focus the patterns, if you're focused more on shooting mature deer, you focus less on shooting does, and so you see regions where people really focus on trying to shoot giant bucks, they stop shooting does as much. Sure. Doe numbers get too high. Absolutely. Stress levels increase. Well, and then... And then, and then at the same time, there is some habitat work or there's some... Um, there is more food plots put in place. There's more crops being left. And that creates less winter kills. And so does large antlerless groups can make it through winters so you don't get winter kills or stress period kills it's and a, a population an, increases it's an arti- overall yeah like an artificial um booster shot. supplement yeah 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 
um, over what the natural cultural and that's gonna be the natural carrying capacity is of that of that region, the common land use practices. But Southern Iowa to me is that. Yeah, uh, right now I think I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing yeah. it for sure. I mean, I think um, which we 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 talked about it's just it's a it's a matter of time and an area and there'll be giants killed out of this year giants there will be but and there'll be giants killed out of it in the future yeah but not to the same caliber that it was in the 2010s a, a resource that is highly desired look, look i guess look at it from like a business standpoint from a supply and demand the demand is seemingly endless from a I want to go to Southern Iowa and hunt, but the, you only have a, 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 a set amount of supply that can feed that demand. And I think that you start to see this um, turnover point of where the demand is decreasing the quality of that supply. Absolutely. And the quantity of that supply. And I think I think that we're going to see that. Again, We Pike County... Brown County, Schuler County, all that stuff right around there, and, and like that golden triangle of Illinois. Man, it yeah. had its in the in the hey in day. the late nineties to early two thousands. I mean, that was like it. What happened? Uh, and it's and it's just like any time we're tra- we're chasing a moving target. There's so many different things that come into play. It, but Pike County, Adams County, yep. One of the big things that happened, Brown, I think, is over there. Was not only was the hunting industry moving in there, but outfitting moved in there. And now I have nothing against outfitters, but what you no, see typically with outfitters are that they have, what they have is they have a product or they have a, um, a the service. service that that service is paid or it, it's marketed as quality hunting. And guys come in and they shoot what is in their opinion, quality whitetails. And it typically is, Either really big two and a half year olds or really nice three and a half year olds because they move a lot better than the older age class just bucks. Face it, and no, you just nobody bo- wants to go home empty handed if you're no. paying several thousand dollars to go yeah. on a hunt. You yeah. want you want something to get out of that or or taken home with you. I think that if you will, Iowa's regulations kind of they've helped <laughs> slow yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a built in a little bit of of, of insurance, but I still think that you might see. If you uh, a little bit of erosion of the general herd that initially was so highly sought after, yeah, the 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 dynamic has changed because this guy, his family are doing it seems like some great some great things. I'm sure that that you know they work hard on the property and are, it seems like they might be maybe a little frustrated, but some things are are out of the control and and we're we haven't been to this property. We're, we're we're talking here we're from work, what we know. We work that very region. very closely, <laughs> a lot. Um, yep. But but with that being said, I can uh, confidently say that there's probably a lot of those factors we're mentioning are playing an important role into what he's seen and observing now on a pretty routine basis. Yeah, I would say continue harvesting does aggressively maybe even step up from yeah. 20 to more maybe maybe you need to to go in and and um i don't know if you're working with your neighbors or not but go in and, and discuss you know what it is that you've seen pr- provide some evidence um of of this erosion 
uh, or degradation of the herd there in your immediate property, but talk to other people about what it is they're doing, how collectively in a co-op mindset that you can improve that and then increase or get those times back. You're not going to save the world or Southern Iowa with, with a conversation with your neighbor, but you, you, can start. You're certainly not going to be able to get the results you're looking for just being a, an island Correct. and not working with your neighbors. Correct. It sounds like it sounds like you're kind of shooting for that. You want more. You want more uh, mature deer on your on your plays. And if you're shooting for one per hundred acres, that's a pretty high goal to shoot for. Of of a five and a half and older. That's, that's yeah. High. That's pretty steep. It's um, not. It's not. I would also be curious. I'm gonna go ahead. Because I'm going to pivot off of that into a different direction. I was to say it's not that it's not obtainable because it's been obtained in the past, but continuing the same premise and not working with other neighbors, you're not going to get there. Yeah, and and so some of the questions would be, you know, what is that? Why why was it so good in 2010, 2011, and um, looking back, even in the, let's just say. 2000 to 2010 there wasn't nearly the amount of uh, publicity for southern iowa Mm -hmm. um the land was used for much different things it was a cattle place it was too hill there was too many hills for um for the crops and so there was a lot more native prairie there was a lot more prescribed fire there was a lot more alfalfa pastures um and, and alfalfa and just diverse pastures themselves and so with the oh. fire you had a lot more stump sprouts you had a lot more uh shrubs you had a lot more um, woody browse for year-round forage and specifically that um, late winter early spring forage you had a lot more forbs through the growing season and then alfalfa is almost year-round in that region well and two we gotta remember this Grain prices changed, mm-hmm. and so a lot of that cattle country, not only based on the terrain, but when those grain prices changed, a lot of pastures got taken out. Well, that's and, and, that's the transition in the yeah. mid two thousands that happened, and then boom, now we're heavy, heavy grain, often with zero, zero, zero food, zero once food. they're harvested. Yep. Um, Very where, few a, cover crops used up there. The pasture mix that he talked about, wonderful. Would have been way far superior than mm-hmm. your typical ag field. And you talk to any of the locals, and we'll probably have a local on this yeah. podcast in the future to discuss that. But um, alfalfa was a much more utilized yes. food source yes. during 2000 to 2010 than it is now in that mm-hmm. southern Iowa. And also, when you look at the deer, the t- if you look back, I, I, you'd almost be sure of it that winter kills happened, oh, and yeah. nobody lost their minds over it because that's just nature's natural cycle. When you have tough winters, animals die. And it's just a way that it keeps the herd in check. But now we supplement it with food plots, cover crops, all these different things. And now the deer herd, it's kind of up to us. Yeah, we got to be our until own Until EHD happens. Yep. And so, um, you know, that's a very complicated question uh, with a very complicated answer. And some um, speculation along the way. However, you have to assume in some yes. of this. Yep. The other thing you'd have to assume is, okay, what was this 420 acres before? Was it 
was it not recreated on? Like, are you and your family riding four-wheelers throughout the year? Because if so, wonderful. But if it was just a vacant 420 acres when you bought it, and now yeah. you're trying to utilize it, that does change it because mm-hmm. there's added pressure. Big deer don't like pressure. Yep. And uh, and I've said it till I'm blue in the face, but if if the pressure is you and your family enjoying the farm and you're going to lose out on a couple, then that's a good then yeah. that's a good trade. Definitely. Um, so anyway, now let's jump into uh, recent consulting trip. Yeah, yeah. So this past week. Um, Took a trip to the East Coast, worked in Virginia, Eastern Virginia, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and then in Southwestern Virginia. So kind of hopped all around the the Mid Atlantic, um, and saw some really cool properties. But but one of the scenarios I think that sticks out the most, and and if people aren't familiar with the Eastern Shore, it is extremely ag heavy with a lot a lot of. Um, large hard hardwood blocks of timbers and then some fingers and in, in connecting drainage ditches and such. Um, basically any area that would have been subpar on the farmland side of things remained in timber. So a lot of those big timber lots were saying 200 and less acres or so. Um, but I mean, like ag is very comparable to Illinois, like very, very prominent. Um, so the situation essentially is, hey, uh, talk with the landowner. Um, they're about the only person in their area that leaves any crop standing whatsoever. Their property is, is essentially 100% recreational. So they're, they're surrounded by large ag fields. So the scenario was, we leave all the food standing that we plant. Come wintertime... And as soon as the crops are harvested, namely the corn that would be providing some cover across these other acres that are surrounding them, they just have this incredible influx of deer within their wooded areas. And these wooded areas are, you know, a mixture of, um, it's extremely flat. So we're talking elevation changes of two, three foot. Yeah. And that's that's the ridge. And then you drop down another yeah. th- like three foot and you've got um, swampy kind of maple bottomland stuff that holds water in the winter. So extremely flat, but we're talking very mature hardwoods, large white oaks, beech, tulip poplar, sweet gum, red oaks, maple, that sort of thing. But we're talking 100, 120 foot tall trees, giant canopies, um, and nothing underneath. Mm. Sticks and mosquitoes. Boy, <laughs> we got torn up with mosquitoes. But I mean, we're, we're seeing with that elevation or lack of elevation and that canopy um, and high deer density in an area, we're, we're seeing. And I'm not. It is not exaggeration. We're seeing 200 yards through through the timber, just long, long views. But but essentially, the the question or scenario is, how do I make this better? Because at this moment, at this time, you know, October 15th hits, 70 percent of the crops out there are out of the fields. He goes, I mean, I, we saw three deer in that pocket walking around, but. There'll be fifty to sixty to seventy deer 
then in that woodlot, and we're talking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a feedlot, eighty eight, deer. eighty yards. It's it's like the cover is so lacking around, and some of the hunting pressure kind of increases around that. Um, some of the some of the neighbors that, and they own like, like 10, 20 acres around their wood block, but they own the majority of the wood block. Anyhow, when season opens up, and through the winter, they're seeing eighty to hundred deer in fields, just unnormal amounts of deer. He's like, well, you know, crazy. should I, should I improve it? Like why, what, like how else do I get, do I get it better? Like I own the deer with the food and the cover that I have crops are gone. They're on me. Would it, does it make sense to continue to manage it? And I think that a lot of people, especially in crop country or those who own, let's say the deer herd with that supplemental food source or um, artificial food source that is left standing. Like, like let's just say if man was not there to do it, they wouldn't be a food source, right? Yeah. The, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. If that woodlot was so good, why do we only see three deer in it? One, there's zero sign through that timber and stuff now. Why wouldn't there be deer in it now? If it's if it's superior, if it's that good. So we have to go in there and create that cover. And instead of having this incredible influx of deer during that window of time, because their season opened up already. I got opened up Friday, I think. Friday or Saturday. Um, so you're listening to this Tuesday or whatever week. It opened up the week prior. There's a whole month in there that really those that wood block is not going to be attractive to yeah. deer. So you, you're almost gaining a month of season by adding cover in this area. Um, so number one, that's that's a, a clear positive. But also the food value that those acres can increase. We're talking on mass crop years, probably quite a bit of food for that fall time frame. But beyond that, throughout the many other months of the year, and there's – I'm not exaggerating. There's no browse within reach. We're seeing, like on the beech trees, was their limbs or lots of scrapes and stuff under them. But there's nothing within within reach. Everything is browse line, no maples, nothing. It's from almost a food like value. when it's I when I hear that, it's like how many hunters if you if you lined them up in trucks and you drove them by a pretty abused feedlot with cattle. They'd all say, oh, I can't believe, like, that looks terrible. I can't believe that's, like, where my, my food's coming from kind of thing. Yeah, and then you could walk by that forest and say, that that that's just as worthless from, to a deer. From the views, yes, from, from let's say, the, the animal comparisons, it's the exact same. Yeah. And so I think that we need to be mindful of, although we observe deer change patterns and when you're hunting in the stand... Man, it seems like this is fantastic. I own the deer world right now. But is that is that a um, is that because the habitat's good, or is it because the habitat around you is so poor? Is yeah. the is the offering in the greater neighborhood that bad that it makes just canopy coverage that yeah. good? And unfortunately, in that situation, it, it was. Um, so I think going into season, as people are observing situations, 
even though you might be seeing a higher density of deer in a certain area, that does not mean that that habitat or the cover type that they may be forced to choose because there's nothing else out there yeah. is adequate. I think that we see that a lot. We fight that a lot. Let's just say eastern red cedar monoculture. We see that so many times. It's the same situation of like, is that cover the best? No, it's not the best. Yeah. But really, that's what they've got. In this same situation, no, we're not comparing. No, we're not looking at eastern red cedar, but we're looking at um, closed canopy forest and just absurd deer numbers in a system that cannot support that. Yeah. But in the mind of a hunter, it may look like it's good. We got plenty of deer. This is amazing. Yeah. But yeah. really, we have to remember the landscape, especially in a very ag-heavy or maybe cattle-heavy area. You know, man's going to have its manipulations, and that's totally fine. But what you can manipulate, I think we absolutely should. Yeah. And, and if that's your goals and your objectives, especially from a recreational property like this gentleman's um, goals words, we we. Ha- we have to. It's a responsibility. Like, if everything else is so bad, and this is all they got, well, we've got to make this that much better. Yeah. Because you might be seeing 50 now. But maybe maybe there wants to be 80 in here. I, I yeah. do, I'm, I'm assuming here, but Or regardless. instead of turning them into uh, migratory herds where they – bunch up in a, a group of 50 and they mm-hmm. move through and then they come in and eat all the landscaping at night and they just move around in this huge herd. Maybe you break it up to where there aren't so many you, you've got a group of 10 and a group of 5 and a group of 6 and a group of 2 to where there's plenty of food to where there's less stress and, and overall it's just a healthier and, ecosystem. And they, they do a good job at harvesting does. I mean they're in their situation, because of the they landscape. They do on their land on their portion. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. But their neighbors don't. Correct. Or somebody's not. <laughs> so a lot of people are dropping the ball around them. Um, but then at the same time, you look at it and you say, well, do they really have the opportunity? Because a lot of their neighbors, they don't have cover, period. They're just ag fields. Yeah. So really, again, we've got a artificially inflated carrying uh, herd number for what the habitat can truly, truly support. So they don't even have the opportunity from a neighbor situation to really manage the antlerless population. These people are sitting here. I can't keep, like, I can't do it all. And they physically can't, but they're doing what they can, which is great. Yeah. Um, But there'll be a strong influence um, and portion of the plan oriented around timber management and lowering that canopy, starting some young forest regeneration. And I think... The observations from there are going to be fantastic, which I'm excited to see um, over the next couple of years develop. But there's definitely going to be some chainsaws ripping and roaring through there. Um, and I don't, I don't, there was very few areas I could see, like, there was some CRP on his property. Um, there was some early successional cover uh, and some things that were like, wow, this looks really good, man. I mean, this, this looks fantastic. Um, but from a young forest and I was probably a couple miles, 10, 15 miles onto the eastern shore. Um, I drove probably 50 around the whole area. I didn't I didn't see any, like, young forest cover, period. Mm. So I think a combination between the growing seasons that they have 
and the deer density, there's it's going to take a while for that young forest to honestly get out of reach because yeah. of... Well, that's what I dealt with in Pennsylvania on that client's property is he had done a little bit of cutting mm-hmm. and couldn't keep up. Right. So what I prescribed to him was a lot of cutting, and now he's got... <laughs> He's yes. it's been one year and he's got stuff growing everywhere. He sent mm-hmm. me pictures. I didn't even told you about it, but he sent me pictures and looks great. You no, know, he's been struggling. PA yeah. parts of PA. It's tough to grow anything real <laughs> big. Yeah, uh, antler wise. And he sent me a pretty nice little buck. Yeah, it's three and a half, two and a half. Sure. It's 110, 120, yeah. which yeah. is a pretty good buck in that area. It's like that deer can make it. He could be the poster child of what age can look like in that region. Sure, absolutely. Um, a- age on good habitat. Yeah, for sure. So that's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. You know, it's a great time of the year for, as we talked two weeks ago, it's like we're shifting out of habitat management now to herd management. Definitely. And, and when season opens up, there's no better time to start shooting and thinning the herd and Mm -hmm. going, okay, Mm -hmm. let's get some does behind us. Instead of trying to chase a number after the rut, let's start knocking the number out now. I have, I have some landowners. They're going to love me. I'm going to, I'm going to get some calls, but out of West Virginia, the Sowards are going after some deer this year, antlerless deer. But this is kind of like that first time that they've really jumped into antlerless removal yeah. and what it's going to do for, for them and their property. But um, kudos to them. The youth season comes in, I believe it's first, um, and they're putting youth hunters in all of their blinds as the season starts and kicks off to start removing antlerless deer. Um, so they're taking it very, very serious this year and doing what they need to. Um, so if you're in a situation, don't be afraid to get after the deer from an antlerless situation. Reduce the numbers. But but as you manage the herd and get into that hunting season side of things, be very critical of what it is you're observing. Think through the whole situation, the neighborhood, the cover that they're using, what they're focusing their Wild, wildlife on their their time on um, because it's not always like a direct correlation to they're spending time here so this is good habitat it could be much greater than that there could be many problems um, facing that overall neighborhood itself so that's yeah. another scenario to to consider but wanted to bring it as certainly as we're getting into this time of the year because um, observations we ask clients all the time what what do you observe here? Like what? How do you? How are you hunting? What are you seeing? Um, observations are important, for sure. Well, um, good luck, guys. Uh, be safe. I hope next week we'll have some hunting stories. Hopefully, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week. Yeah. See ya.